Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined by a property duo that I've been trying to get onto the podcast for a while. I've noticed them first on Instagram. They were doing some really, really fantastic stuff. Some great HMOs were coming out there and I've spotted them a few times in a magazine as well. And I really wanted to get them onto the podcast, get their story here and get it out to people just to see what can be achieved with some serious hard work, having a great vision, having a great purpose and knowing where you're going with your property strategy. So today I'm joined by Sanjay and Malkit from Savoy Properties. Welcome, gents. Thank you very much. Hey, James. Thanks for having us. No problems at all. Guys, I'm going to kick off first of all. Um, I want to ask you guys, who were Malkit and Sanjay before Savoy Properties? What were you guys doing? Um. So I had a family business, which I still have. Um, it's a jewelry business that's specializing in sort of um, Asian jewelry and diamonds and stuff. So uh, that's established for 51 years. Um, and me and Market know each other from middle school, met each other at the age of 10, best mates since then. And um, Market can fill you in what he was up to. Yeah, so um, with myself, I, I finished uni, finished a master's in 2000. And it was at the height of the dot-com boom. So I got a job in a IT company uh, that was doing phenomenal uh, riding on the dot-com boom. But once I was there over those two years, what I noticed was you ended up with a lot of people losing their jobs uh, as a direct result. So I saw like grown men crying, being made redundant. I'm like, wow, look at this. During that period in 2000, I actually started uh, taking advantage of the new isolate products and stuff that are out. So you you only needed 10% to, to buy buy a property. So me and Sanjay embarked on just uh, purchasing some small one-bedroom, freehold houses and went from there. So I think in our first year, we purchased three. As, as I progressed through that, I think in 2002, I was made redundant. And it was only at that point that I realized, okay, look, you need an exit strategy. We need like a secondary income because you can't necessarily rely on a on a nine to five and it was literally from that point to where we are now we just every every year we just try to edge up a little so you know we started with one bedrooms you know bought some uh, slightly bigger properties then went on to just adding extensions and then trying to convert like a small office to to a residential unit to hmos and then to new builds and larger conversions uh, to where we are now. Malky, is it fair to say you followed the traditional Indian route of going into education, going into university, getting a degree and doing what the parents always say we must do? Yeah, no, no, I did. I did. But to be honest, like from, from my background, no one in my family had actually gone to university. So I just thought, okay, um, I'll give you a little bit of insight. So Sanjay's from um, a jewellery background. My parents used to run some small businesses, so we had like uh, off-license grocery shops, and uh, uh, we had, basically had like a parade which they used to run. Um, 
And I was just like, do you know what? I don't want to be stacking shelves. I don't really want to be doing this business because I, I can see how much time it consumed. And I thought, I want to do something different. So I, so I pushed myself on the education side. I thought, okay, let me, let me go down this corporate route. So that's what I pursued. And it's, it's only once you start the, the nine to five rat race, you realize, look, you know, you want to, you want to leave. Otherwise it just consumes you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's fair to say both of you were very early influenced by business because your parents were uh, both kind of in the business sector. They both ran their own businesses. That's right. Yeah, hundred percent. So with the shop after uni, I ended up in the shop because like you just said, you know, you're, 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 you're sort of pushed into it by your family. Like this is the business you're going to take over. And so I was there, market was the IT job. And because our parents ran their own businesses as such, and they had a small uh, portfolio as well. Um, it taught us, and it, it's it's not a bad thing to be honest with you, because you learn the value of money, you learn how business operates, how things work, and you know you basically get thrown into a deep end. So it's 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 not a bad thing to actually learn how to run a business, because um, then you just get that model and sort of bring it onto this side and try and see what can I add to the property side, which is why what market mentioned earlier, <clears throat> we've sort of diversified year on year. So. We started off with the buy to lets. We went, then went to the HMOs. Then we went to developing new builds. Then we done the um, office to residential conversions. Then we've got the management side of the business. So we started, you know, a different avenue, sort of, to get some revenue coming through. So it's that's that's all business minded thinking of how to expand within the sort of business that you have. How how can I get more income streams in this business? And it helps having that experience behind you and the knowledge behind. You. Sanjay, can I ask you a question? Coming from a jewellery background, where's all your bling, man? I was hoping I'd see you with some diamonds <laughs> on, some nice gold rings, maybe a gold tooth. <laughs> no, no, none of that, none of that. No, just, do you know what? I, I think it's like anything, right? You're surrounded by it 24-7 and it, it just becomes the norm to you. It's not, it's not, it's not wild upon after a while. It's just, it's, it's in my blood because we've been, you know, doing this for generations back at home from India, from Punjab and coming here, you know, it's just, it's in our blood. So it's just, it's there. I've got it. Trust me. I'm just not wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got plenty of it. Trust me. Guys, let me take you back. I want to take you back to your first property deal you two did together. So how did you two get together and buy this first property? And do you remember exactly what the deal was, the first one you guys got together? Sure. Do you want me to do that, Sanjay? Yeah, yeah. go on, Mark. Yeah. yeah, so I'll be honest. Um, me and Sanjay went for a night out and um, I came back to Sanjay's house. Sanjay, I think he had a, had a few too many. He went to sleep. So I'm sitting there with Sanjay's dad. And he's like, do you know what? It's a really good time to get into property. You should, ha- you should, uh, you should have a look. It's, you know, the interest rates are low. You've got these products. And literally, so I had a, had a beer with Sanjay's dad. And I went home and um, I picked up my house. We had the, the leader uh, newspaper for those that are old enough to remember. And I just went to that middle section where you had the property bit. I flipped through, flipped through, and uh, there was an auction. Um, I think it was Athol's auction. They used to be based in Acton. I looked and I thought, okay, there's a house basically not too far from where we are. Um, yeah, I had, had a look at it, just uh, drove past it, uh, did the viewing, spoke to Sanjay about this, and then I basically went to, to auction with my father. Uh, we ended up buying it. And I remember when we actually bought this property, I called a couple of local agents down um, to, to get it valued. I think we paid 120 for it. And 
uh, one of the agents came down and he said, look, yeah, I know this house really well. The lady needed to sell it really quickly because it's worth 160. We paid 120. I'm like, wow, wow, look, there's a 40,000 uplift. She goes, I can guarantee you I can sell this for you um, for 160 right now. I'm like, okay, look, this is a, it's quite a nice thing. So we basically ended up putting this on rent. Uh, fast forward, this property now is a HMO. Um, but yeah, we, st- we, st- we still own it. So it's, um, we consider it like basically our, the foundation of uh, where we built everything from. So we will, we'll, well, yeah, we, we won't never sell this particular property. Bit of sentimental value for you both, eh? Yeah, I think so. One. Bit of a lucky one because it was, it's, it's, it's all where it started, right? And I mean, just imagine you're young, you know, just finished sort of university, if you like, in your 20s. And, you know, with one property deal, you're making £40,000. And you're thinking, wow, you know, I don't even get paid that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm making this £40,000, you know, in literally weeks, not even, you know, months, I could sell this. So it's, it's, it was good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And going and back, finance sorry. was a little bit, I was I'm just going to say, look, back then, finance was a lot easier than it is today. So you're, you're able to, to sort of pull out the, the market value or sort of day one. So if you, if you purchase and you purchase under value, you can actually pull out, you can then get it revalued, say tomorrow at that higher value and then draw down on those funds and then go again, which mm-hmm. is all sort of changed now because you've got to sort of hold on to it for six months. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you mind me asking, what year did you buy that? Oh, gosh, um, that was two. I think that was two thousand or two thousand and one. I think that's two thousand. It was about twenty years ago. Twenty years ago. So yeah. at twenty years ago, you paid one twenty for it. Just for the yeah. listeners, in twenty years, do you know what it's worth now? We do know what it's worth. Um, yeah. What did we get valued? I for think it's worth. I think it's worth around four two five four fifty. Wow! Wow! As as, great, as not as a HMO, but just as a as, as a, a standard house. house. Yeah, yeah, no, that work. Where are you going to get that kind of uplift? It's just for the listeners, so they understand that. Look, in twenty years, that is that is a massive, massive increase. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's 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 a it's a belief we have that properties double every ten years anyway, and you know, proofs in the pudding. So you can see that you know, from one twenty <clears throat> in ten years, it'd be worth two forty. You know, in ten years after, it's four eighty, which is we're saying about four fifty-ish anyway. So it's there thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah, so in another 10 years, you expect it to double again? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Guys, tell me, you're known for HMOs. <clears throat> Why did you pick the HMO strategy? Um, okay, so basically I had a, a cousin who's an NICEIC um, electrician. And I remember him going around to some of these, uh, he used to basically do uh, the condition reports on, properties and i remember him coming back saying oh, i've been to this guy's hmos I'm like, okay what, what's, what's that and he, he explained it so basically like a, a multi-let uh property in shepherd's bush and this because this guy turned up he's driving like a bentley convertible he's friends with like john terry he owns like 12 of these houses in shepherd's bush i'm like wow he goes literally this this is all he does well actually it sounds it sounds good so we we start asking around um HMOs have been around for sort of generations. There's just uh, different elements to it. So we had we had a look at stuff online that was available. We we met people that were renting HMOs. 
Uh, one thing we noticed was a lot of people were either focusing on uh, DSS HMOs or student-led HMOs. And we noticed that professional sector was uh, being neglected at that point. So this is uh, around probably just around 10, 11 years ago. Um, we then basically looked at our own portfolio. So, okay, which of these properties can we convert to a HMO? So we we went, we took that step, converted one, and you didn't have the uh, the platforms at that time to, to sort of rent it. So you didn't really, spare room, I don't think existed at that point. Right move, uh, Zoopla doesn't really account for it to be be rented because there's no, nothing down to rooms, it's only to studios. So we, we created this first HMO and then tried to use, I think we used like Gumtree and some local agents to try to rent it. We, we ended up renting all the rooms and uh, all of a sudden, rather than one income from this property, we were getting six. So it was literally from that that we thought, okay, look, we can build a business around this. Mm-hmm. And Sanjay, let me ask you this. What's one thing you love about the HMO strategy and what's one thing you hate about it? Oh, that's good questions, actually. <laughs> um, if you ask me what we love about it, to be honest with you, one one things that and and Mark would probably agree with me is is when you buy a property, a derelict property, and you, and you have a project and you sort of plan it out, and because we change every time, you know, we actually have a house. So, for example, just to give you <clears throat> an insight to it, so when we actually first started doing research into HMO, HMO has been going around for years. I mean, with you know Asian families are doing it for years have a room and just have different people living in there. So HMO has been coming around for years and years and years, right? So all, all we done was just took the same model, but made it better. And um, what we thought was that, you know, <clears throat> what kind of property would we want to live in? You know, the first thing is we want our own toilets, we want our own showers. So, you know, we made sure that we had ensuite rooms because it's obviously nicer and cleaner when you have your own bathroom, right? And no one's waiting, you know, outside banging the door for, you know, a tenant to come back out, you know, can you be quick? I've got work, et cetera, et cetera. So it cuts the problems down, but just designing that and then, and then adding to it each time. So for example, now we have the um, 3d wall paneling, we have intercom systems where you can open the doors. We have video intercom systems. So planning it and then actually seeing the finished product at the end is probably the most satisfying part of everything, you know, I know you're going to expect me to say the money, but it's not the money. It's actually the finished product, which which you look at because you're like, you know, some houses, We, I mean, we just done one recently and we've literally doubled the square footage of the house. And the way we've done it, the way the planning was done, you know, it was it, the whole thing worked really well. And by the time it's a finished product, you look at it and you're actually proud of, of, of the actual house that you've made, the product you've done. And uh, that's probably the most satisfying. The worst part of it... Um, I would say to you is probably if you need to get the council involved, the planning side of it, because sometimes it could be, you know, if you're going to do more than six, you go for seven or eight beds, it becomes too generous. And that's probably the part that we don't really like a lot. I don't, I don't think there's anything because the tenants we get are really good working professionals. Um, you know, the, the time that my team, our team takes to build it is, is, is fine because, you know, they're our team. So that's, that's all sort of a smooth, smooth ride if you like um obviously you have your hiccups like what we got now with coronavirus and materials become less and coming out of the eu the material price is going to go up you know that's things that you can't really help but it's only when you're dealing with the council sometimes like um we've we've got a few which are um you know seven beds eight beds ten beds and that's where the councils can take you know um a bit of time and just be 
a bit more strict, shall we say, in the polite way. <laughs> I think that's a great answer, man. I was hoping, I was, I was imagining you were going to say, I love the cash flow and I hate managing the tenants because that's generally <laughs> yeah. the two things. Say, yeah, but I, I thought I'd be nice, right? And just tell you, tell, tell you from the other side. That's the obvious answers. You, that's that's what that's that, that that's the obvious answers. Look, everybody, it's a business. So you're in business to make money, right? So we're not. It's not a charity. We're here to make money. But it, that's that's. I, I think you get to a certain stage where the money aspect of it is there. You know, you appreciate it, but then it becomes more about your unique product, Savoy's product. What is Savoy's providing for its landlords? What's it providing for its tenants? The brand becomes more important than the actual money itself and everything else and the passion is the brand and i think that's where we are today so voice is the passion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no great answer man i'm with you i absolutely love creating the product myself as well and kind of when it's finished you're twitching your thumbs and you're thinking ah oh, what am i going to do now if there isn't one to start straight away it's kind of like i've done the hard work now um i'm a little bit bored <laughs> exactly i mean it happens not not just with hmos i mean i'll give an example of one of our sites what we um, won an award for and market will talk you through it in a bit more detail but basically i mean we we put our heads together we we bought a commercial unit um not not so far from where we live um it was a shop downstairs and it had um it had one two floors upstairs and the whole parade of the shops, no one's going into the loft. So we had the idea of going into the loft, creating a six-bed HMO at the top. And it came with a garage, detached garage. So behind um, behind the actual shop, you have an alleyway. So it's like an access road, if you like. And just, just on the other side of the access road, it's a garage, detached garage, really big garage. And um, we, we split it from the title on the outset and uh, put planning in and, and, um, we end up getting getting a um, permission to make it into a two-stroke, three-bedroom muse house, and it was oh, a garage. Nice. So just so just to show you that you know when when you're doing things like this, that's that's where you're most happy. Yes, it's going to make us mm. money. I'm happy about that, obviously. But it's the idea that you're actually doing something new and something that you haven't done before, and it's actually worked. You know, you get more pleasure out of that than anything else. That wow. We've put our heads together. We've actually achieved this. And nobody, you know, the landlord prior to us didn't do it. The landlord didn't go. No one's gone to a loft. We're the only people in the whole parade that have gone to a loft. No one imagined we'd get planning for the garage at the back. We got, uh, you know, so so it's, that satisfies you more than anything else. That was, I'm guessing that was like a little bonus for you both, right? When that happened? Uh, it, yeah, was, uh, it was a, a bit more than a little bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I can almost, I can almost imagine the neighbours saying, you guys must have known something I didn't. You probably knew someone in the council. You guys have probably paid someone a little bit of money to do this for you. But little did they know you've actually used your head. No, exactly, exactly. So so that's that that I think I think when you look, everybody gets into business, like I said, to make money, but then when you when you get a bit more comfortable and and you have a bit of passion behind it, you, it can it can take you really far. And I, I think it's important to not just be in something just for the money. You need to have passion for it as well. And you know, with that, with a vision, with a passion, you'll always go further than the person that's just in it for the money because you know they're not they're not going to think ten steps ahead and 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 think out of the box if you like. Mm, mm. No, I'm with you, Dan. I'm with you. I feel money is just a byproduct of the success. I think the success and the vision uh, and the purpose is what really, really matters. Hundred percent, guys. I want to use that dirty word, COVID. <laughs> You know, I'll call it a dirty word because it's gone on long enough now and it's it's affected a lot of people. Uh, you guys, with the number of tenants you've got and the HMOs that you've got, how has this affected you with, say, empty rooms? How have you dealt with viewings? How have you dealt with tenants? 
Um, I'll, um, I'll start and then I'll let Mark it. Well, go on, Mark, you, you, you take over. Go on. Um, I don't know if you, you saw based on our Instagram post. So we're, we're, we're quite firm believers of embracing technology. So uh, I think a couple of years ago, we, we started a lot of the um, uh, virtual tours. So they're very interactive. So basically, as we're doing a HMO, we used to get a virtual tour done, get it hosted. Uh, we had, at that point, we had tenants that were, were coming from, let's say, Canada or uh, Kenya to, to the UK, because the areas that we're based around is, is near Heathrow, Stockley Park. Um, there's, there's a lot of business hubs just around there. So we were focusing primarily um, on that Heathrow side of things. So we, we embraced technology. We brought in these virtual tools. We, were, we had international tenants contacting us. Rather than FaceTiming and taking around the property, we used to say, look, have a look at this virtual tool. It's on the first, this room's on the first floor on the left-hand side, etc. So but what happened was during lockdown, we weren't uh, really allowed to do any viewings. Um, the, the empty rooms that we had, when we had people contacting us through the various portals, we were messaging them back, okay, look, yeah, we can, we can rent you this room. We're not really allowed to do viewings at the moment, but have a look at this virtual tool. So I think during that, that, that I think we weren't really allowed to do viewings for probably two months. And I think we, we rented somewhere around 30 rooms during that bit, just using that technology. Um, on the impact of COVID, did it have an impact on us? Yes, I think it had an impact on everyone. But what we found was we had a lot of tenants that were in contracts, were not within their exit period, but they said, look, we've lost our jobs. These are, these are like Virgin, ASU, people working at British Airways, people working at the, uh, the airports, uh, the hotels that surround the airport. They contacted us and we, we said, okay, look, that's, that's completely fine. Look, I'd rather, if you want to leave, I'd rather you leave than stay in a property that you can't afford to pay the rent. Um, and then what me and Sanjay did at that point was we, we worked pretty hard uh, to, to get these rooms rented. What we found coming out of COVID was the product that we've got, uh, they're all on suite. We, you know, we, we embrace uh, a little bit element of self-contained. So they, they contain little kitchenettes, but there's no cooking facilities. Um, they have their own, in, inside the rooms, we, we have their own fridges and stuff there because we didn't really like that aspect of shared fridges and some food going missing and the, the disputes that, uh, that come with it. What we found was a lot of people uh, either downsized from studios and one beds to our HMOs and the ones that are in the, the old-fashioned uh, sharing, sharing a bathroom with six people and sharing a kitchen with six people, those guys then upgraded to our middle model of property. So Coming out of COVID, uh, lockdown one, we, we were actually really busy. And it's probably the busiest that we've ever been. Wow. That's uh, that's not what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> but that's, that's great, mate. That's that's absolutely fantastic. I think something you said there was the, the one major thing that stands out to me is communication the word that you actually communicated with your tenants rather than just leaving it to chance. You know, you gave them, you gave them some choices and some options where I know – a few sure. people that I know through the property sector were kind of like, no, you're in a contract and you've got to pay this, you know, really going in, in forceful and being, you know, n- there was no leeway, there was no sympathy, there was no nothing. But 
Uh, it comes back to what Sanjay said. So we, we had this discussion because when coming start of March, we were really nervous. A uh, little bit of background, um, just that period. So previously, so we, we've been around 20 years, we've been doing HMOs for, say, uh, over 10 years. Uh, but we were always been using local agents to try to manage our product. What we found was they couldn't give the service that we requested. And the, like you, as you know as well with your product, it's, it's, you, you make it in a such a way, you, you understand how it's supposed to be managed, how it's supposed to be rented. And you find that that service, it's not everyone shares your vision. So me and Sanjay come 1st of March, we actually went the Savoy's route. So we branded ourselves as Savoy's properties. And we went, like me and him, were just it was just me and him initially, just full-time. So, okay, let's do this. We'll, we were going to build our team based on this. Um, and it was a, a crazy time to sort of start because this is when all the, the issues started. That first month, you had like people being laid off. I think March and April were... were we were just being inundated with emails, messages, can I have a rent reduction, I'm going to leave. And we were just firefighting this and we said, okay, look, we've got to stick at this, we're going to make it work. So it was uh, quite a challenging period, but we worked with them. Coming back to your point, um, I think you, you, have to, you have to work with people because these people that we, some of these people that we let go said, okay, look, go. They've actually now come back to us and said, do you have another place? Look, uh, my company's, uh, my factory's, Restarted all my office is now going to be going all school that we're at started in September. So a lot of these guys have come back to us and we're happy with the way that we handled the situation initially mm-hmm. and, and they've come back to being our tenants again. I think just adding to that, James, it's, it's also, you know, a bit of, um, you know, you, you, you have to have the right approach because at that time, if you, if you remember, you know, courts were closed you couldn't serve any anybody with um, any sort of uh, notices or any 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 action to leave or anything. So either you're sat there with a room that's not generating you any money, <clears throat> with somebody who's openly told you I can't afford it, or you just you know be decent and say okay, fine. You know if you can't afford it, it's fine. You know you can leave and they leave and you can get somebody in there that's going to pay you rent. Mm. So it's a bit of business sense behind that as well. But communication is key. Yeah, I love you. I love your approach on that because it just goes to show that you know you were sympathetic towards these people and and they've come back to you again, which is a yeah. testament to yourselves and Savoy's to to say that you know when the going was tough for these guys, you looked after them, and now when it's getting a little bit better, they're coming back to you and looking after you. So it's nice to see how you were able to kind of um, kind of you know carve that path out for them. Yeah, no, 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 hundred percent. So guys. Um, Anybody going into, no, sorry, before I get to that question, obviously you're pioneers in the HMO space. Yeah, no doubt about it. You can just log onto your Instagram and you can see what you guys are doing. I love your products. I think you're doing fantastic stuff. What do you think the future is going to be like for HMOs for both the professional market and the student? I know you don't deal with the student market so much, but I thought, let me get your opinions on what you think the future is going to be like for the professionals and the student market moving forward. Do you want me to go, Sanch? Yeah, go on. yeah. So we actually, so where we're based, we're being contacted by Brunel University. So we're 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 around Brunel a lot of our HMOs. They've actually contacted us and said that we were actually interested in, in uh, taking your products on guaranteed rent because a lot of now students are requesting ensuite rooms. So I think your what you're going to see is 
these bigger student HMOs are probably going to reduce. People will rather be maybe in um, maybe the ratio like uh, one to three or four um, to a bathroom situation. The the larger, like say like ten bedroom sharing one bathroom situation, that's probably not really going to work. We're seeing students now requesting on suites. So we, we deal with not all, but we have, we have like international students that, that, that contact us so that we entertain. Um, and they, they all want en suite. So we're seeing it's going to move, be a move more towards that en suite sort of situation. And probably now, maybe a lot of them rather to get into these uh, student funds as well. So I, I think with student HMOs, it's um, if you're if, if you're not gonna if you're a student HMO landlord and you're not gonna evolve, um, I think you're gonna end up with a, with an empty property uh, in a few years. Um, with the professional uh, HMO market, again, I think you're gonna see a push, which you're already seeing towards more more. Ensuite, a little bit more self-contained sort of HMO, so maybe something that has tea-making facilities within the room. Um, so it, it it is it is going to change. Uh, we we're seeing the changes ourselves. Uh, we're still making HMOs at the moment. We're still making HMOs for other people. And the ones that we've done, we're getting them occupied. But there's more an emphasis on uh, having everything sort of within that room and the room being that tad bit bigger because you're going to see people wanting to spend more time in their room as opposed to like communal areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you guys personally feel it's a, it's a strong market. You're going to carry on investing in it and carry on growing it. Uh, I, th- I th- well, we, we, at the moment you can see it is. Um, I think when we, me and Sanjay looked at going into HMOs, the reason we went into it, we, we said it was recession proof. It's it's proved to be recession proof. Realistically, if you look at last year, it was a depression. So, if we were able to keep the occupancy up during that point, we're we're only now once we open up, it's it's the economy is going to boom because it, it can't go any lower. Personally, uh, once the jobs come back, especially around the areas that we focused on, we, we we're anticipating a boom in that particular area. And you've got to remember, housing's if anything, with 2020, it's actually got more expensive. Rents have actually increased, and property values have increased. So we anticipate more demand uh, for the type of products, HMO products that we produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, some uh, some great pointers there, man. Really, I feel um, I feel there's a lot of people that are nervous. People that I speak to. I've also seen people that have exited the market and you only have to look around on, on the internet with the amount of HMOs that have most recently just come up for sale um, in up north towns, uh, in Liverpool, places like that. So I think it's, it's a bit of a kind of uh, 50-50 with people. Some people are getting really scared and moving and some people are like, no, nah, no, nah, forget sure. this. I'm full steam ahead. If you're selling me a HMO cheap that I can renovate and get up to my standards, I'm buying it. I'm going to carry on expanding. So I feel it's a bit... The, the, the balance is a little bit leveled. But you've got to know your area. So we're not, the reason we only focus that 30 minute uh, radius from where we live is because we could, you can be an expert in one area. You can't be an expert in all areas. We, me and Sanjay owned uh, some properties in Middlesbrough. Um, but the, the market's completely different. The, it, 
there's no capital appreciation up there. You know, you're, you're basically focusing strictly on the yield. If the yield goes, then um, I can see why people are exiting that market. But for those listeners out there, you've got to understand your market, understand your area. Once you, once you, once you know that, you'll understand whether there's a demand for HMOs there or not. And just have a look at the, the adverts out there on things like on the, on the portals. And you can see what's what sort of trending. You know, we 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 tend to we tend to have a look at our comp- competitions properties, and we want to ensure that ours is sort of unique and it stands out. And and mm-hmm. we're offering uh, the best value to the tenants that will occupy them. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think James touching what Marco just says. That's what, that's what makes the difference. If your product's right, it will rent. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, if, if the HMOs are a lower standard and then someone sells it and you say, well, I can bring it up to a certain standard, it can work. That just shows you that the product will still work, but your standards are not right. So as long mm-hmm. as your product's right and everything's correct about it and it's, and it's your, the way, the way, like, for example, we do our HMOs, there's, there's no reason why, why it's not going to work. I mean, if, like I said to you earlier on, HMOs have been around for years and years and years. It's only now people have branded as co-living or HMOs of what you want to call it. But it's been going around for years because people need, you know, places to crash and people stay. You know, if, if you've come from Manchester for a six-month job in London, you're going to not want to, you know, rent a house because you're not at home all the time. You're at home sort of at night to sleep and then you're up in the morning and you're back at work again. Mm-hmm. I think I think landlords that leave things to chance, you know, they're the ones that are really suffering and especially rogue landlords that have got away with it for far too long with just mm-hmm. having the, you know, the bog standard magnolia wall, mix match furniture and all that. That's just not working anymore. And I think it's nice to see where the standard's gone with HMOs because all the rogues are being pushed out now and it's making it a nice level playing field for people that actually care. You know, you can see when you see a Savoy development, you know, they care. When, when I do one of mine, I care because I would go that extra mile to give people what they need and put myself in the situation, you know. And when I'm planning something, I like to look at the floor plans and, and, and imagine myself in this place, walking around this place. How am I going to interact here? How am I going to cook? How am I going to sleep? Where am I going to wash? And I think if you're thinking like that, there's no reason why your product wouldn't be a success. No, 100, 100. We, we have seen, we've been offered HMOs to, to rent for other landlords. What we noticed is a lot of um, housing associations, councils have handed back HMOs, which landlords haven't spent any money, I don't know, 10, 20 years on, literally just a bit of paint, a bit of gloss. And those are now being handed back. And these landlords have come to us and said, look, uh, I've got this property, uh, five, six bed, shared bathroom, shared kitchen. I want this much for a guaranteed rent. I'm like, it's not going to happen. I'll, I've been getting this for the last 10 years. So a lot of these properties are now coming back on the market and these guys aren't getting the rents that they used to. And hence, uh, hence we're now putting them up for sale. Obviously, the, the market's changed and these like the, the, these guys that we're referring to, they're like from my father's sort of generation. They don't really see uh, the benefit of spending money on a property that you rent because they just assume it's just supposed to generate income for you. But we're yeah, in that mindset yeah. that you have to spend money to make money. And mm. with like all our tenants that we've got, uh, we have like WhatsApp groups with all of them, like myself and Sanjay are on the groups and they've got our numbers there. They can, they can message us on the group or they can message us directly. Or, and we have like a few members of the team now that are on there as well that deal to it day to day, but we'd always ensure that action is taken. If there's a leak, 
is that if there's um, some some appliance that stops working, you know, we 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 aim to sort of get that fixed straight away, and that's the way that if you want to survive in this HMO game, that's the way you need to be going. Mm-hmm. Guys, with uh, with Article Four being in most London boroughs now, how does that affect you? Does it stop you from um, investing? Well, not does it stop you from investing? How has it how has it impacted you guys when you're now looking at a, a potential deal or a property to convert into a HMO? Um, so, James, how it generally works is um, we're quite quick from purchase development and then refinancing coming back out again. Now, if you're buying an Article 4, you've got to go through planning. And like I was mentioning earlier, you always have hiccups with councils to try and do it. So that takes a lot of time. So we try and stay out of the Article 4 areas generally, unless <clears throat> there's like we acquired a recent property, um, the one I mentioned, that we doubled square footage and that was a a a hmo in an article four area so it, it it's already got a license we don't have to go through the planning process etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's quite a no-brainer if you like you purchase it you develop it make it your six bed get a new license and you're off um but generally speaking if it's article four area we we try and stay away from it purely down to the time it takes and there's no guarantees mm. Mm. no i agree with you. i agree with you. is Sorry, I was just going to say one point to add. Uh, when an Article 4 does get introduced, what I've noticed is the, the actual value of the HMO increases and the rents within that area also increase compared to the neighbouring town that is non-Article 4 because you, you basically stop all new entrants. So where we're based, we have Uxbridge and elements of Uxbridge, which are Article 4. Any properties within there demand a premium over neighbouring towns. So to be honest, we've, I, w- I wouldn't really mind to now where we've got a lot of our HMOs if uh, an Article 4 gets in- introduced because it'll stop the new entrance and it'll actually increase the value of our units there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it fair to say when you're looking, you're looking for something that's, say, already got a license that's pretty run down that you can add value to then rather than finding a property and thinking, oh, I've got to go through the whole application process? Yeah, so if, if it's an exist, if it's Article 4, then we will only entertain it if it's an existing HMO. If it's our, our aim is literally, look, we're in and we have to exit within six months. Like, so if we, if we purchase on a, on a short-term bridging loan, We've got to then month six. We've got to then exit basically onto uh, a HMO uh, a mortgage by month six. Once you um, you go over that period, it, it just eats into your profits and it becomes fin- it doesn't become financially viable. No, no, I get you. I get you. So, guys, somebody starting new in HMOs, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, um, I, I would suggest look, you've got to, you've got to educate yourself because you can't just jump into something if you don't understand it. Look, follow follow Savoyas, follow James Sahota. Um, to see to see the struggles because at the moment I, I meet people and they're like, I want to get into HMOs. I'm like, okay, what do you know? Nothing. Like, okay, so why do you want to get into it? No, uh, some guy in the pub he told me that you can make a lot of money and everyone's doing HMOs. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the purpose. You've got to if you want to get into HMOs, you have to deliver something that other people aren't. So the way we're trying to do it, we're trying to deliver a service and a product that the, the competition aren't delivering. Uh, same, same with your one. I've been watching um, 
the London HMO that you're doing, you're basically all around the tenant, so the rooms. So you, you worked out all the points, like your, your TV points, your, your sockets and everything, your communal area. You've, uh, you've got basically, it's all based around that tenant. So if you're going to come into this, you've got to educate yourself and then you've got to ask yourself, what are you going to offer that, say, James is not offering or Savoy isn't offering? Because otherwise you're just going to get swallowed by the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, some sound advice, man. I always say when people say to me, oh, James, I want to get into HMOs. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I want to get out of HMOs <laughs> as a joke, you know, but it's, it's, it's that whole thing where people just think it's huge cash flow. Yeah, what well, it is. But when things go wrong, they go horribly wrong. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to follow someone who's going to give you a real, real honest opinion on what can go wrong. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not a it's not a fairy tale. It's not easy. It just if you if you for example, even if you're looking at our post, it looks like it's easy. Look, you know, we just done this, but you don't you don't realise the issues with planning that you may have had to go through, or the, the planning inspector appeal that you had to put in to actually get this particular extension approved, or if it was an art before you get that approved. All the issues that you may with the neighbour because you're making out a HMO and they don't want to live next to a HMO. You know, you, all these things uh, aren't aren't really taught in books or aren't really seen when you're looking at like Instagram posts. But it's it's not straightforward. You know? mm-hmm. Guys, I want to move it across to branding. I asked you about branding earlier. I said you're all very nicely branded up. And, you know, I've seen those uh, two cool little minis you've got over your uh, over on your Instagram. And I wanted to ask you, how important is branding to you? And do you think it's helped you guys in a positive way? And what, what has what has the brand allowed you to do? And has it attracted anything that it didn't attract before? I think this one's probably Sanjay's the mastermind behind uh, the, the company and the logo. So I'll let him uh, answer this um, one. So the idea, like we spoke about earlier james was uh we had you know agents managing properties for us and we weren't really convinced that they could do a, you know a good well a better job than us so so was always been in the background we sort of created the logo <clears throat> as you can see it looks like some buildings and um the brand sort of put a lot of time left at me and market we sort of went back and forth with a few options and i suppose with the brand what happens now is we've got um our our sort of um, signboards up on properties that we own, just saying managed by Savoy's. And what's what it's done is, like I was speaking to you about earlier on, is that when you diversify, so um, we've now opened up the doors to manage other landlords, HMOs, or, or even you know flats or houses, whatever it may be. And Sanjay, sorry, before you go into that, can you tell yeah. me how the name came about? <laughs> um, so. We had a few options, and I think I think this one just sort of stuck in our head. Savoy's obviously, look, you have you have obviously Savoy's is a big name anyway, and the whole world knows about Savoy's, right? So it's just it's just a nice sort of you know savvy name if you like. So we thought Savoy's is quite nice. Um, it has it has a nice uh, ring to it if you like. So we mm-hmm. we, we had a few options, you know. I was going back and forth with Mark, saying, "What do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of this?" And then <clears throat> for some reason, this is the one that sort of stood out. Right, right, okay. I thought you were going to tell me some, you know, deep high school story of when you guys had these symbols and these names, some nicknames or okay. something you amalgamated. I tell you the truth, we were in the Savoy's Hotel having a piss up, and we just thought this is perfect. Let's name it Company. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That didn't happen. That's what you wanted to hear, but that's not what happened. So there's, there's, there's no, um, there's nothing behind it at all. Honestly, we just, we just liked. 
Look, like, uh, you know, if you look around, you've got Hilton, you know, um, people have named their companies after Hilton's, you know, Harrod, this, this, this. So it's just, it's, it's nice because the branding's probably, the name's already out there and people remember it. People, people, people tend, to, tend to remember the name if you pick out a good name. So pick name out, it's helped. We've got the branding. You can see, you know, <clears throat> Marcus Finn, the hoodie. We've got um, a couple of cars going around all the time with all our logo, phone number. We're on Instagram, we're on social media. And it helps, and it's helped us, I think, especially after winning the award. And then, you know, people like yourself have invited us um, for for sort of podcasts, and and we're we we had a presentation on Sunday, I believe, was it Monday? Monday, on Monday, we had a presentation um, on on a property um, <clears throat> network, and it just helps people recognize who we are. And I think when they see this logo, what happens is. Because we're around where we are, we we sort of got 30, 40 boards up at the moment. We've got another 50, 60 to go up. It's just always sticking people's heads. So branding is really important. I mean, it's, it's it's I think it's the first thing you learn in business that you know you have to brand. You've you've got people ad- advertising all the time. You've got you know people like M- M- McDonald's advertise all the time. You know they haven't got you know they're still number one competition wise, but they still advertise because they still want to be in your head. They have to do it. So the marketing is really important. So to do that, you have to have the right brand the right logo the right uh, merchandise if you like and and as long as you have that you can brand yourself and it's just brand awareness so i think i think we're we're pushing for that just to just to take the company to another level because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i mean like i said i've seen you on instagram and everything you put out is always nicely branded do you guys handle your own social media is it between yourselves or have you got someone working oh it's you is it <laughs> it's not me him Malkin. Oh, it's Malky. Okay, it's Malky. Okay. He's the guy. He's, He's the, guy the brains behind it. He's but, the instrument. So, so I, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you how, how it all started was, so before before we had Savoy's, um, we, we we had friends and uh, friends of friends that wanted to do HMOs and be like, okay, look, uh, can you show me some of you on your phone? I'm like, yeah, okay, let me just get my phone out. And you show a HMO room, 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 and you slide and then there's a picture of your son. Um, and there's a picture of a car or something else, and it, it was just it wasn't professional. So I thought we we started off using Instagram just as a portal, just to show the the cycle of the projects that we we're doing, the finished product, and the steps through it. So then we could just show it to to clients. So it literally started from there, and then it just built uh, it's built up quite a lot of traction since, and uh, we picked up quite a few followers and a lot of inter- interaction. We've actually um, met uh people now that we do business with these are like the guys that do like the photos staging um virtual tours so it's actually quite a good um way of interacting with people and then we've also uh got quite a few clients now that are under savoys and we we look after the development and and management of their properties so the brand started. Am I right? You saying it started at the beginning of lockdown in March? Um, that's that's so, when we rebranded it. Um, okay. So it was so we still had Insta. It was going through a different company name. Um, so we rebranded it. Or that's that's when we bought everything in house. Um, so in March, um, we bought everything in house. We rebranded everything to Savoy's, and that's where it was literally. Um, 110 percent to Savoy's itself so now even when we got sites we put our our, our signs on top of our sign uh, sites just just for recognition so people know you know on the hoarding we have signs there mm-hmm. people know it's a Savoy's development 
So you're just, just yeah. literally pushing it for maybe. But yes, it all started, it rebranded in March, but we'd, we'd been going sort of a year prior to that, maybe even two okay. years. Yeah, because I was going to say, starting in uh, starting in March and, and, and growing the account, that's a massive growth in less than a year, isn't it, really? Yeah, no, but to, to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you, it's since March that Marcus sort of put his foot on the pedal, if you like, and, and the growth has been in those nine months, if I'm honest with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So but just, just stepping back just prior to that, so we, uh, 2019, like me and Santa said, okay, look, we're actually going to go for it. The 2020, we're going to, let's, let's do this. So we, we'd, uh, putting the brand aside, we'd commit to quite a lot of projects. And coming into it, we're like, okay, look, what do we do? We're committed. Do we stop? You know, do we give up or hand some keys? Do we hand, like, you know, like we own it under a certain entity, we just hand the keys back and just fold? What do we do? Um, so this is where, like, in March, me and him just uh, bang our heads together. So, look, we just got to go for it. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. Look, mm. this COVID is going to be short-lived. You know, it'll be 12, 18 months, but life is going to continue. So we're, we're actually, I think what we, what Savoy's, uh, as a brand does, is we, uh, we're we basically solving people's problems. So we're sol- solving people's problems locally in regards to the, the quality of HMOs that we're in- introducing to an area. Uh, and we're also, um, you may have seen, we've got some sites uh, within uh, the UK just uh, dotted around where we're actually uh, building some, uh, doing some conversions to uh, new dwellings, which will then introduce nice, quality um, housing for, for the locals in those areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I love what you said there about solving problems. I think when a business solves a problem, I think you're automatically become a, not automatically, but you've got a better chance of being more successful than somebody who's just, like you say, doing it for the money or just doing it for the cash flow. 100. You've got to realise that if, you, if you're doing it for the money, you, you're going to lose interest. So what mm-hmm. me and Sans do is each project that we do, you see, for example, you'll probably do the same. You'll you look at the London HMO that you've done. Okay, what did I do well? Yeah, tick, tick, tick. These bits I can improve on. So as as you're doing a HMO, then none of them, if you have a look back through like an Instagram account, they'll never be the same because we're always looking, actually, do you know what? We should do this. We should introduce this. You know, when we started off, we didn't have fitted furniture within um, a property. So, for example, if you're getting a flat pack wardrobe and you're putting it in, it may not fit that area. It may be a little bit too short. There's a little bit, mm-hmm. you may have, for example, 10 inches on the side. So actually that could be used. And then you've got maybe a meter above it. And storage is one of the biggest issues in HMOs. So when we came in, we're like, okay, look, people need storage. So best way is let's get custom-made furniture for that so we can maximize whatever storage area is available. So if it's a loft room, like you, you've got the eaves, so you can actually get a fit furniture to, to fit those eaves going uh, in a triangle fashion up and you utilize that space. So we're, if you look at our product, everything that we've done is to resolve an issue. Like, for example, we have those fridges within the rooms. Uh, we're solving some issues where we, when we initially started off, we had shared fridges within there. We'll be getting messages. I think James has stolen uh, my my sandwich or something. Well, not James. That's, that Dave, sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you literally need to just resolve uh, people's issues, and 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 don't forget, as as we said, look, people have our phone numbers, so they can contact us directly. So we're getting contacted by someone. We then okay, look, we need to now resolve this. 
even going back on older HMOs that the ones that we did right at the start, we've gone back in there, just refurbed them back up to sort of our standards now. So we've got fitted furniture and redone. Maybe initially when we started off, we were more focused on the cost aspect. We've come back in there, just updated the bathrooms and stuff as we go along. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense. A lot, a lot of sense. Guys, I know we've spoke about all the good stuff. So my next question to you is what's been uh, what's been one of your biggest failures to date, one that sticks out and it really still hurts you every time you think about it? Um I'll tell you I'll tell you what, what one of mine is that we've we've missed out on a deal. <laughs> We're trying to buy a site and we just miss out on it by you know whatever X amount of money and you think, damn, I should have paid that today because that would that would have been double. Do you yeah. think that's where the ego, the ego was a little bit, where the ego says, no, 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 you can't go there. You've got to kind of go there and you miss no, out a deal. It's financially, you know, don't forget, you okay. know, everybody has a financial limit. And, you know, when me and Market started, as you mentioned, we had our jobs and we were not given a plate or a bag full of money saying, hey, you go, you've got unlimited funds, go and do what you have to do, you know, especially coming from Asian backgrounds, as you know yourself. It's just difficult because your parents don't want to, you could first of all you, you they have to have the funds to give you in the first place if they have it they're not going to release it all at once to you in the first place so you what we end up doing is saving 100 percent finances refinancing and getting the money that way and growing the business ourselves because you know you're, you're turning around at a young age saying to your parents i can do this and i can do that and if they're thinking well hold on one second you know is it really possible is it really going to happen so i think it's it's not the ego it's, it's the funding more than anything else so but it is because you drive past certain certain um you know properties that that you could have acquired and you think oh my god man look at that now that's amazing and it's just it's it's not because i mean don't don't get me wrong you end up buying other units that you know but that's the only thing that i would say to you sometimes you feel but malcolm may mm-hmm. have a different opinion no i well i think me and sanjay a couple of days ago we were driving past one site which um it was a it was a pub at the time it closed down and i got and i was i think this was this must be like 12, 13 years ago. And I got a local architect, which was a friend of my brother. And I said, look, we've got this viewing. Can you have a look at this? I'm pretty sure we can convert this to three houses. Because look, look, you can just carve this up. It'd be like a, a, a terrace sort of house block. And the, the guy came down. And all he did was just put us off. He goes, no, no, no. And that that plot sold for 235000 the guy that purchased it, same year, with one planning application, just got planning to convert that former pub to three houses, what we envisioned. And then he sold them all off. And I think he sold them off for uh, $800,000. Yeah. So from two thirty-five dollars an internal conversion to 800000 And then what that actually taught us was that you've got to trust yourself. You, if you don't believe in yourself and believe in your vision, you know, no one's going to do it. And you've got to remember... At that point, we were you know, still quite young. And these guys, being probably 15 years older than us, are probably thinking, look, they don't really want you to succeed. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of, there's what I, what I found was you'll always find people that are going to say to you, no, no, no. But then you have to look at it. Like, for example, this architect, he hasn't got a property portfolio himself. He just does plans for other people. So why is he, why, to be honest, why did I actually go to him to ask him for advice? I need to go to the people that, are actually getting this planning permission, for example, on, on similar sites, getting that approved and say, can you do this? So we, we flipped the whole thing, used it as a learning curve. And then after that, we, we only trust ourselves. And 
if someone gives us some advice, you always have to now challenge them. So why why is that justified to me? Yeah, I love that. I really love what you said there, man, because it's true. You know, you could uh, you could be at a family event and some uncle might try and say to you, oh, Malka, you know what, you should do this. And you think to yourself, excuse me, uncle, with all due respect, you've never done anything in your life. You know, you can't be giving me advice. And then in the early days, it's so easy because you've got that level of respect for certain family members, for certain people that you do take their opinion on board. And you think to yourself, why did I listen to him? You know, he's still yeah. driving the same are working in the same place he's never bought a property but yet he's telling me i shouldn't convert this into a hmo so i think it's very important to protect your circle and i always say that especially your circle you know your mind circle that you only let certain people in and certain people give you advice because people will give you the wrong advice because they get a kick out of it or it's a little bit of a something for themselves so this this is like a big learning curve for ourselves so we we've learned that like everything in life you've got to literally whether good or bad, you've got to reflect on it and learn from it and move on. So like, even with like my, myself and my uh, Sandra's parents, they didn't envision uh, us to, to get to the standard where, where we are. But I think with parents in particular, they never, it's, it's one of those difficult things. Like they only, they only get the confidence in you once you've done something because otherwise it's, you, you're always like, no, you won't be able to do this. Um, and literally it got to a stage where I was buying properties and, I'm, and then I'll be like, Dad, look, come here. Let me show you this. And then, then it'll be like, okay, oh, wow, he's done this. And then, you know, like in, especially with Asian parents, they don't never really give you the gratitude to yourself. They'll then tell his friend. And then, yeah. friend, oh, your dad's really happy you did this. You know? Um, so it's, it's one of those things. And like, I, I'd still do that today. So I, we'll, we'll do a deal like me and Sanjay. I'm like, Dad, have, have a look at this. He goes, oh, you did this? Like, yeah, yeah, we did, we did this. You know, and um, now now he's got the, the full confidence, but it's just one of those things. And it'd probably be one of the same things I may uh, experience with my son. Like, you know, we're, st- we're so used to, like, telling him what to do. And when they're ready to stand on their own two feet, it's, uh, it's a quite a big deal. Mm-hmm. Nah, some really good stuff there, guys. And to flip it up, what's been your biggest success, property success, um, not financially, it doesn't have to be financial. It's just what's one that sticks out, do you think? You know what? That was that was that was the one. That's the one. Um, well, I think I think well as as a success. So we we, we actually looked at a site. Um, this was uh, the latter part of uh, twenty nineteen. So we saw a site uh, in Burnham. It's um, be, I think we put a couple of posts up. There'll be some more posts coming with it. Um, and everyone looked at this particular site and said, look, you only can get five flats out of it. And then myself and Sanjay looked at it. So actually we can manipulate things here. You know, we can, I think we can get 10 flats. So we, we actually switched it up, converted the whole site into a combination of uh, two, two bedrooms, five, one bedrooms and three studios. Um, and we started this during lockdown one and um, finished it during uh, uh, lockdown two. So that was our biggest uh, success today. And mm-hmm. they're really lovely apartments that we'd like to live in ourselves. How do you go from five to ten? I can understand from five to seven, but man, you guys just doubled it. Would you put a whole new house on top? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it, look. So, so the, the, the main thing is that you got to with with planning. You got to educate yourself. You got to you got to learn not. To, to look outside the box so 
you know, we've we've read books on commercial to residential conversions. You, you see what things are allowed, what what isn't allowed, um, and then you can utilize space around around the building. So, so this is what we did. So it was a, a phased approach. We did it in sort of three phases. So initially, when we were purchasing it, we got the planning permission for uh, five plants. That was our exit strategy. Okay, look, and we exchanged on this site. Uh, we didn't want to get anything more because obviously then the, the vendors are going to think actually our site's worth more. We don't have to sell it to them. We've got planning permission to go for something else. Then we phased it to eight and then finally for 10. We didn't, we weren't sure whether we'll get the 10, but we actually did. And that was uh, the cherry on top for us. Mm-hmm. And is that a keeper or is that a seller? I think me and Sanjay have only, I think during 20 years, I think we only sold four or five properties. Mm-hmm. So that's that's so everything everything is anything we're looking at it's uh, uh, buy build and then we rent uh, yeah. and we keep, keep so keep keeping it all for yourself. Do you regret? Do you regret selling of the, any of the four that you did sell? Because I I often speak to people that have uh, you know sellers remorse. They think oh, I should never have sold that one. We were having a conversation <coughs> again um, a couple of days ago about one of the units, and um, you know at the time we were if you like, um, learning. It was a learning curve for us, I would say, probably put it politely. And uh, we should have we should have had a different strategy about it. And if we did, we would have kept it. And the problem we have with that one, we see it quite a lot. So, yeah, it hurts that we actually <laughs> sold it. Um, but it's fine because, you know, you've got those funds and you bought other properties. You, you, so, you know, you've got to look at the bigger picture. But, yes, you're always going to have it because you put all that time and effort into something. You make it something and you just sell it. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> we made money on it, but... Our 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 business model is not made. It's not it's not there to sell. We're not sellers. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to build up a portfolio. So when you do have to sell, it does hurt because that's not that's not what you plan to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think the one the, the only one that we don't mind didn't mind selling was the one in uh, Middlesbrough. I think. Uh, yeah, we were happy we got rid of that one. <laughs> <laughs> the one in Middlesbrough, we were actually quite happy to get rid of. Um, but the rest, the rest, the rest of them. The only reason we sold them is we needed funds to other acquisitions, um, yeah, which have yeah. then worked out. No, it makes total sense, guys. Brings me to the top of the hour. But before I go, I've got two questions for you. What would you give if you could go back to when you were eighteen? The both of you. What's one bit of advice you'd give yourselves? Invest in property. <laughs> Look, on a serious note, I mean, what, what I would say out there, um, I'll let Malky add to it afterwards, but one bit of advice I give to anybody who's starting up, forget HMOs, but properties in general, is is if you can afford it, try and go somewhere local to you, something you can see and touch, as opposed to something which is going to be, you know, hundreds of miles away that you can't really manage and, you know, see on a daily basis. I mean, we were talking about that earlier with you, James, and, you know, it's always nice to be able to see your own property, manage it, because, you know, you can always be on top of the, make sure the properties are a good standard. Keep in touch with the tenants. Make sure it's it's a business, so you have to run it like a business. You have to make sure you're you're quite a little bit hands on rather than hands off. Um, just just to keep yourself in loop. That's probably one of the biggest advice I would give because the issues you have is when it's when it's far away. I'm not saying agents are you know out there to to rob you or, or crooks, but you know all of a sudden your, your toilet's not working or your sink's not working or that's gone or this is gone and you don't even know you know you, you're not in control if it's local. And your fridge stops working, you may say, "Well, actually, I'll, I'll check it and put the fridge in myself. It could be a fuse or whatever." 
So it's it's always worthwhile. That's that's one bit of advice I would give to anybody starting out property. If you can afford it, just just do it somewhere local to you where you can actually see it and you know see your property and try and manage it a little bit. Be a little bit hands on. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's some sound advice. That's some sound advice there, especially for people starting out, because it seems to be the norm just to go straight up north and buy something cheap, and uh, and deal with it that way. But yeah, no, some some good advice uh, from yourself, Malky as well. If you could go back to when you're 18, what's one bit of advice you'd give yourself? Um, well, to be honest, I I, th- I think you need to educate yourself within uh, the whole property business. Like, if if we knew the like, obviously we did it in a small gradual steps over over that 20 year period and probably the last 10 years has been sort of accelerated but if we knew the information that we knew now you know we would have probably started in the hmo stuff earlier maybe even uh, focusing on some of this mixed mixed use commercial uh resi stuff which is quite fruitful um so i would say look educate yourself work out a strategy on what you want to do and then, then strive to sort of be the best within that area at trying to deliver this. So this is like maybe if you're going to manage it yourself, the service or, or the standard of the, the property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now some great, great stuff there, guys. Well, that brings me to the top of the hour. I've got one last question for you guys. Um, it's a bit of a light, humid question. What's your dream cars? Do you own them? Have you had them? Or is it on the list? <laughs> Sanjay? I don't think I should answer that question, Malky. I should keep quiet. <laughs> Sanjay just picked some uh, a new car up the other day. Come on in, spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, picked up a nice Urus Lamborghini Urus. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, Color? So, uh, great. It's, it's, it literally looks like the Batman car. Oh, fantastic, mate. That's, you know what? That's a testament to what you guys are doing. So, you know, I, I, I asked that question because I want people to see what can be achieved in 20 years. You know, and that's... Marcus, a- Marcus is coming. He's got the uh, G-Wagon coming. So he's got a brand oh, new yeah. one. He's waiting for the new plane to come out. It'll be arriving in March. Yeah. No, fantastic, guys. No, that's really... I, I, you know what? I'm a, I'm a 911 fan. I've had a few 911s myself. I don't have... I don't currently have one because I sold it to pump the money into a deal. But... Yeah. On the same token, I do love to ask this question because I feel um, anybody at the start of their journey can see, you know, what can be achieved because you see these things in magazines, you see these cars with celebrities, you see these cars all over Instagram. And that question, you know, you answering it with a uh, G-Wagon just goes to show that any normal person can get into this game and achieve more. The only thing I would add to that is is you shouldn't, you know, um, there's no get rich quick scheme here you know me, me and mark had a conversation about this that <clears throat> imagine we were in our 20s and we had achieved what we achieved today and you know if how life would have been different you know you know parties and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i said to mark i said you know what i'm actually glad it didn't happen because you'd have lost track of what you actually wanted to do and you'd have been diverted to that sort of lifestyle if you like it's, it's quite easy to do that you know we're all human so it's quite easy so it's nice that you know obviously we're married now settle down and now you can start to enjoy sort of the fruits of your labor if you like so you you work hard to a certain level then and obviously what you have to make sure as well at the same time is okay yeah it sounds really really nice so he's got g-wag or urus is fantastic you know but you have to have assets to pay for these liabilities there's no point getting liabilities and the assets can't pay for them so you've got to be sensible in this you know at the end of the day 
you can't, you know, we can go and buy another house, but I can't drive a house around, right? So you have, I, I want to drive a nice car. I want to have, you know, a, so a sort of a token of my my success, if you like, or, or our success and our achievements. Just, you know, it feels nice to drive a nice car, but it's not, you know, if, if um, to be honest with you, uh, before that I had a Range Rover and, and I'm actually missing my Range Rover, to be honest with you. Oh, this is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But when I go back, of course I would. It's not about the money that I can afford a nice expensive car. Let me now go and get a Bugatti or get something more expensive. Not at all. You do what's what makes you happy. It's really important. Mm. But as long as you can afford it, the affordability factor is the most important thing. A lot of people out there take loans and loans and loans and they're getting, you know, they're making a thousand pounds a month and their car's costing them, you know, 900 pounds. They're saving a hundred pounds. You think, why are you doing that for? You know, yeah. so get, build your assets first. And, you know, once you build it up correctly, your liabilities will come anyway because it's just necessarily natural. No, I think that's a great note to finish on, man. Yeah, let your let your assets pay for your liabilities, build your assets up and let them pay for your toys. Yeah, 100. Guys, it's been fantastic recording with you. I uh, really enjoyed that. I'm going to put all the all your contact details in the show notes so where people can reach out to you. And if you want to just let, let the audience know, how can they connect with you if they want to ask you any questions or, you know, connect with you? Um, so you can uh, contact us um, either via savoysproperties.co.uk we're quite active on uh, Instagram so you can uh, find us at, at Savoy's Properties um, if you want to drop us a message yeah, by all means and we, we, we try to get back to everyone no that's fantastic once again guys thank you so much for coming on thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. if you like the podcast Feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.